Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Shauna Husson earned her dietetics degree from the University of Wisconsin at Stevens Point in 1999 and has now worked in the medical nutrition field for over 20 years. While very active throughout her entire lifetime, she struggled with weight gain in college, despite following conventional nutritional recommendations and exercising extensively. Eventually, Shauna discovered the hormonal connections that lead to weight gain. She is the author of Fast to Heal, a five-step guide to achieving nutritional peace and reversing insulin resistance. Shauna now serves those wanting to learn more of her teachings with her books and digital products, Facebook support groups, the Fast to Heal Stories podcast, and her popular six-week Finding Nutritional Peace group challenges. Shauna and her husband have three awesome children and live in Kakana, Wisconsin. Shauna loves reading, running, traveling, sitting in the sunshine, walking with friends, and cheering her children on in whatever they are pursuing. Shauna, what an honor to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. Thanks, Casey. It's a pleasure to be here. It's absolutely an honor to host you. Um, I have a little bit of a connection with Wisconsin. My wife has a cabin in Crandon, Wisconsin, which is about two hours oh, north sure. of you. You know, you know of Crandon. Oh, yes. Lots of people around here have cottages up at Crandon. Wow, that's awesome. So I got to visit Wisconsin for the first time to visit her family and visit the cabin. Um, and it was summertime and it was absolutely gorgeous. Um, the, the bugs are no joke. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yes, that's the one downfall of living in Wisconsin and around this area in general. And we live right on the Fox River for those who are in Wisconsin and the mosquitoes are terrible. <laughs> they warned me ahead of time and I like never use bug spray. And I was like, OK, like I, I fine, I guess I'll bring a pair of pants. And it was probably like 10 minutes into the trip that I was like, wow, I need these pants on right now. <laughs> yep. If you stop at all, they're going to get you. Oh. And yeah, what's interesting is Northern Wisconsin, we actually have more lakes than Minnesota. So it's just crazy up there. The lakes, it's beautiful though. It's, it's absolutely stunning in the summer. Yeah, it was gorgeous. We got to water ski, which I absolutely love. The other thing is when they talk about Wisconsin cheese, they are not joking. <laughs> I mean, like like in the gas station, just buying like cheese curds, like nothing oh, yeah. special, but from small farms. And oh my goodness, so, so good. And they're made that day typically. And yeah, every single day. And I will say, you know, I'm, I know only about 30% of, of Americans or, and people in general tolerate dairy, but I must be one of those 30% because <laughs> I, I eat cheese almost every day and it does not seem to bother me at all. Wow. That's very lucky. Yeah. I, I don't think I would care whether I did or didn't. I still would have eaten pounds and pounds of the cheese <laughs> while I was there. It was so yeah. delicious. So yummy. Wow. Well, okay. So my first question for you is why did you decide to name your podcast Fast to Heal Stories? Why was stories so important to you? Yeah. So my book is called Fast to Heal and that's my five-step approach to recovering from insulin resistance and reversing metabolic illness. And as I, my podcast came about a year after my book, after I wrote that and released it. And, um, I wanted to feature those who had done well and just, you know, everyday people, I do have many health professionals on my podcast as well, but I wanted to feature the stories of those who had gone through my programs and seen progress and note how they did what they did and how they're maintaining. And so when I interview somebody who's gone through my five-step process, 
Um, we break down each step of the way and they tell us how they did on each step along the way and give us pointers and because everybody's story is a little bit different. You know, I've interviewed people who have lost 50 plus pounds and their main goal is weight loss. And I've interviewed people who really didn't have any weight to lose. They just knew their hormones were going wonky or they weren't sleeping at night or um, they had aches and pains or whatever it was. And so everybody's story was a little bit different, but that's where the title fast to heal stories came from. And with, even though everybody has implemented some sort of fasting, um, in the podcast, some of them do a little bit, some do more. It just really depends on the story. And it's just, I think it's so neat to hear everybody's differences and, um, you know, how they achieved what they achieved because we're all so different and what works for me might not work for you. So I think with each episode, you can pull just a little bit out of, each person's story and apply it to your own lifestyle. Yeah, I totally agree. You do such a good job um, hosting that podcast. I've really enjoyed listening to some of the episodes. I've also listened to you on one of our former guests' podcast, uh, Jen Stevens, who does the Intermittent sure. Intermittent Fasting Stories podcast, I believe. Um, and and in that, you refer to another podcast, which was highly influential to you and also to me. And and they they all revolve around personal stories. And that podcast was Jason Fung's podcast, the the IDM, I believe it was called. It was a bummer. Yeah. They they stopped doing it. But my goodness, like listening to those stories in the in the beginning was so influential to me. And it sounds like it was for you too. I agree. I've I think there were only, I could be mistaken, but I think there were only like 18 episodes. And that was in the early days when I was just adopting intermittent fasting for myself and learning as much as I possibly could so I could help my clients um, implement it as well. But I probably binge listened to those episodes three times each <laughs> just, just so I could ingrain it in my head, just what these people are, are going through and how they're seeing progress. And um, I, I think everybody loves stories. So when whenever you can share your own personal journey and help other people along the way. Sometimes I think people listen to podcast episodes and it might be a health professional that's so far removed from them or might get a little too in depth with science or whatever it is, but it seems like stories resonate with everybody. Yeah, I totally agree. I'll sometimes tell our guests like, look, we're a podcast about health and fitness, but really we're just about stories. We just want to hear, you know, what people have gone through so people can have something that's relatable because you're right. Like hearing the concept of fasting, especially the first time it's like, but I'm going to die. If I do this, I'm definitely <laughs> going to die and <laughs> it's not going to end up right. very well. Um, so speaking of stories that we'd love to hear yours, if we could go back and um, hear your upbringing and when you started running into problems and what that was like. Yeah, I don't know how far back you want me to go, but in also kind of in like high school area because that that definitely influenced the path that I took. But I was also always very athletic in high school. I did three sports a year, year you know, year round, um, and very hard training even way back when when I was in high school. Um, so I feel like that probably kept my weight where it should be. Or, or, or where I was comfortable. But I can't remember even in the high school days, like thinking, oh, should I be eating this? Will this cause me to weight, gain weight? I was very athletic, very muscular, very thin, but I still, I remember thinking about that. And I always remember thinking everything that I put in my mouth, like, is this, 
going to help me or harm me. Um, and I remember being really hungry. <laughs> like, I don't think I ate enough for my activity level during my high school years, but um, definitely my weight was, was consistent. And then I went to college in Wisconsin. So you can just kind of draw your own conclusions there, but <laughs> not only is, is tr- cheese very, um, prevalent in Wisconsin, but so is beer. And I'm not going to pretend like I wasn't much of a party girl because I was out on the weekends. I was up late. I was drinking into, you know, the wee hours of the morning, not taking good care of my body at all. And I definitely saw weight gain. That was the time that I struggled with my weight as much, you know, more than any other time in my life. And the funny thing is, is I was very active then. I, I did not play sports in high, in college, but um, I did intramurals and I also was a fitness instructor. So I was teaching sometimes a couple of classes a day and then of course walking around campus and I did not feel well. I think that's when my gut just kind of um, got pretty damaged and um, I was probably 15 to 20 pounds heavier than I am now, which for some listeners, you might think, oh, well, that's really not that big of a deal. But for me, it was two clothing sizes. I looked very inflamed. Um, my face was puffy. My skin was a mess. And I just didn't feel well. I was bloated all the time. Oh, it's and a huge difference. I, you, have post, you have pictures on your website. It's a huge difference. Yeah. And like I said, you might not, it's, it's like, oh, well, 15 to 20 pounds, but I think when you're the size that I am now versus, and then you add that, that weight on, and a lot of it probably, you know, just fluid weight that made me look so puffy. It made a difference for sure. Um, so I struggled with my weight in college, even though I was very, very active and I could not figure out why. And, um, meanwhile, I'm a dietetics major studying nutrition and I had no idea why I couldn't lose this weight. I was working out like crazy. Um, after college, the weight started to come off just naturally because I wasn't up so late. I was eating more, um, balanced meals and, you know, people who saw me after college were like, Whoa, what did you do? And I'm like, well, I just started, I stopped living the the really nasty college life is what I did. Um, but I will say then I had three children and of course, anyone who's had, who has kids knows that, you know, I, I gained 30 pounds or so with each one of them. And the weight does not just melt away. Like I, I remember keeping food journals and doing everything that, that I could um, to lose weight. And then when my kids got a little older, I started like over-exercising. I would, I ran multiple half marathons. I trained for a couple of marathons. Um, I would work out six days a week. And if I didn't get at least six days in a week, I'd have a guilty feeling. And, and again, I was, I was at a a pretty good weight at that time, but I had to work really hard. (laughs) Like, I'm like, I should not have to work this hard to maintain my weight. But I was also like, I would early, I would run in the early morning and I was always under the impression that I had to eat like a banana and a string cheese before I went for a run. So I would be eating from sometimes 5 a.m. until, you know, 7, 8, 9 o'clock at night and wondering why I couldn't lose weight. And um, I was eating a lot of the quote unquote healthy whole grains and all of the, the nutrition recommendations um, the standard guidelines that did not work for me and did not work for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so 
I then was it, I was practicing as a dietitian, kind of on and off. I took about five years off to have our children, but, um, I was, I was in the, um, nutrition clinic doing mostly weight management. And then I also worked as a health coach and tried to implement a lot of the standard recommendations to clients and patients and just didn't get really far. And so about 15 years in out of frustration, I, I left the field um, just to try to figure out if the recommendations I was giving are, are helpful. I was seeing my own health issues. I was bloated all the time. Um, I also struggled with canker sores in my mouth that were there all the time. I couldn't figure out why. And then in 2016, my middle son, who is now 16, fell very, very ill, is kind of out of the blue. And it was three years of um, constant. He, he was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is inflammatory bowel disease for those of you who've never heard of it, but it's awful, awful, awful. It's like He's it's constant diarrhea all day, bloody mucusy stools, wow. um, losing weight, just very, you know, losing weight, not growing, no energy. And um, I took him to a couple of different doctors, and all they wanted to do in the conventional system was medicate him and keep medicating him and keep medicating him um, until he landed in the hospital. And um, they talked about taking his colon out and he was 12 at the time. And I thought, no, like there's, and you know, you talk to his gastroenterologist about the microbiome and healing naturally. And they look at you like you have horns or something. <laughs> so um, during that time though, I did just such a deep dive into nutrition because I'm like, there's gotta be, of course, gastroenterologists and doctors in general have very little nutrition training. So I'm like, there's got to be something, some kind of diet that will help with this. Um, and so I did a really deep dive into diet and chemicals and mold and I mean, you name it, water, you know, our water supply, anything that could have been triggering his symptoms. And that is when I'm like, okay, I'm not going back to work in, in conventional nutrition. I just can't do it because if, because if I work in nutrition in conventional nutrition, I have to give the standard guidelines. So um, that's when I I went to work in a very small um, digestive health clinic that was alternative, and I did a very small pilot study on intermittent fasting because I had started trying it for myself. And I will say, Casey, at first I was very very opposed to it. <laughs> I would. I would hear people interviewed about it or, you know, leading, I, I'm a podcast junkie and I was listening to all kinds of podcasts, you know, Dr. Mercola, all the big natural health names. And whenever they talk about fasting, I would just kind of tune it out and I'm like, no way, you know, all that conventional training. I was, I was just, I, I thought I, I have to eat as soon as I get up. I have to eat throughout the day. And, um, I started practicing it myself. And almost immediately my bloating improved and I just, I slept better and my weight, I, I only lost a couple of pounds. I didn't really have a lot of, of weight to lose, but my body composition changed and it was basically effortless to maintain my weight, which was huge for me because I had been working too hard up until that point. And the other um, big change that I saw was just the mental part of it, not having to eat all the time, not feeling like I have to take snacks all the time. Um, just that food freedom that comes along with your hormones healing. 
Um, but then when I did, when I worked at that clinic and I implemented a pilot study, it was just, it was only 18 people. It was a very small group, but I was blown away at the results that people had. And these were mostly females. I think I had one male out of the 18, but mostly females in their forties, fifties, and sixties. It's not like I had 20 year olds who can recover from chronic illness super fast. It was, it was older people who had struggled with eating disorders and um, multiple issues for much of their life. And, and they saw such huge improvements in only 12 weeks that mm. I started to piece together um, a program and, and write my own personal story into it. And that's where I started to write fast to heal and everything has just kind of snowballed from there. So that's how I got to where I am now. Wow. What an amazing story. What a, what a journey. Um, and, and just to be perfectly clear, the things that you were trying to do in your own life were no different than what you were taught to do with your clients and what you were recommending for them. Is that correct? Oh yeah, for sure. So I was, I was eating, you know, whole grain bread and whole grain bagels and whole grain, this and that, and, um, focusing on lots of fruits and vegetables and keeping, you know, meat more minimal and not eating much red meat and all of the standard recommendations that you have now. Yeah. That's what I was doing when I was struggling. Mm. So I worked a metabolic cart for, um, over a decade. And so people would come in, to the office and we would sit them down. And, um, once they were relaxed, we would hook them up to a mask, which had an umbilical tube that would measure their breathing, which would then tell them at rest, how many calories their bodies were burning and thus what they needed to eat. And when, when fasting kind of started to come around, it was really interesting because people would come in, say they had been practicing some form of intermittent fasting. I would tell them like, wow, your metabolism is like really high. You're burning quite a few calories. You need to make sure that you eat this many calories as a minimum, or else you're going to tank your metabolism. And that was just the standard thing. And we would tell everybody that. And they would, I, I remember one guy in particular looked at me like completely baffled, like, but I can't eat that much food. Like, what, what do you want me to eat? Like I could eat Twinkies and get there maybe, but like, I, I, <laughs> I can't, I, I can't eat that much food. And I think that's the common thing that most of us think when we first hear about fasting is if I fast, I will crash my metabolism and I will regain the weight. Can you explain a little bit about why that isn't true? Right. And I, when people are just so have their heads wrapped around calories and the diet mentality, which you can hardly blame them. You know, I was so, I thought about calories all the time because I thought that was the key to weight loss was calories in versus calories out. But, um, those of us who understand intermittent fasting and fasting in general, or have, have a deeper understanding of it and know that it's so hormonal, then you can kind of see why, yeah, it's so important to keep the calories high, even though like, I don't really give recommendations for calories anymore. Um, but I can certainly appreciate the need that everybody need, has to eat enough in order um, to lose weight, which sounds very counterintuitive, but yeah. So your hormones, when you're, when you're fasting, um, the growth hormone and the adrenaline and the cortisol are all rising. And so what that does is protect lean muscle mass, which again, sounds kind of crazy, but 
our human bodies are just so, so amazing. And they have all of these feedback mechanisms that occur under times of stress and um, fasting is a stressor, even though it's a good stressor for most people, as long as you don't overdo it, it's a stressor. And so those stress hormones increase and preserve the lean muscle mass where the difference with calorie counting and, and taking your calories level down, it will work short term but you don't get those um, hormones rising, those counter-regulatory hormones that are helping to preserve lean tissue. You don't have those rising because you're not truly fasting. You're you're just depleting your calorie intake and um, under eating. So fasting and under eating are very, very different. People sometimes when they're not educated on them, they think, well, fasting is just starving or fasting is not eating enough, but they're very different. And so working with the hormones and healing the hormones is just so critical and so key to weight loss. Yes, but just getting the body healthy in order for it to lose weight. Mm, very well explained. I'm curious too, I, f I found over time that I had to be really careful in the way I talked about it. Do you have to really like be clear about the definition of fasting and what it is or what it isn't, or use like maybe something like a gentler term, like time restricted eating or things like that. So people don't freak out and think they're going to have to go like 40 days and 40 nights without food. Right. And I think most people, 90% of the people who practice any form of fasting, it's time restricted eating. Most of them aren't going more than a 24 hour fast at most. So yeah. And I explain that in my program and that's in my book as well. Like think of it more as a time restricted eating plan. And a lot of people are more willing to, <laughs> to appreciate that and to bring that into their lifestyle. Definitely. And I think as, as intermittent fasting and different types of fasting become more mainstream, I feel like the time restricted eating term will become more mainstream too. And people are more comfortable with that in general, for sure. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So you mentioned something that I think is so, um, underrated and I, I don't think many people understand what this truly feels like. You mentioned food freedom. If somebody has been on a standard American diet for, you know, 40, 50, 60 years, they probably haven't had more than two hours worth of food freedom in their life. Can you explain and, and, and really sell us on like food freedom, like holy smokes, how <laughs> amazing is food freedom? Right. Like I said, I think like, yeah, my weight is managed very, very pretty easily now, but the food freedom that's come along with this lifestyle just cannot be overrated or overstated. Um, so basically it was me go, transitioning from being a sugar burner to a fat burner. And that's what happens when you, you start to implement longer periods of time without eating. And then for me, I couple it with lower carb eating as well, so that I'm focused more on the foods that my body has nutrient sensors for and will tell my body, Hey, I'm full stop eating. So I, I don't eat like carnivore or anything like that. I don't even say, I wouldn't even say I eat keto. I probably do. I just don't count anything. Um, but the food freedom that that has brought me is, Oh, I, I, like I said, I just, I, I can't overstate it. So I know I was a sugar burn burner for sure up until a few years ago, meaning I ate every couple of hours. Um, I always had glycogen stores in my muscles and liver and your body turns to that energy first if it's available. So if you're eating all the time, 
and, and you're eating a high carb diet, um, you have glycogen that's storage form of glucose, and that's the easiest energy for your body to burn. So if it's available, it's like, Oh, Hey, cool. I'm going to burn this. And, and it's really quick. It's a quick energy. Um, Whereas when you start to transition to going longer periods of time without eating and you start to deplete those glycogen stores, your body's forced to look for other fueling options and that it might use a little bit of protein, but that's, it doesn't like to. So then it's going to go and look for body fat if the glycogen isn't there. And so if you've fasted for a period of time where you've wiped out your glycogen stores, then your body starts to fuel on fat and that's just kind of a natural process that happens. But when you've eaten all the time or you've eaten the SAD diet, the standard American diet, that's really high and processed and packaged foods, you aren't going to do very well with going more than a couple of hours without eating. Um, and so as you heal the hormones and, and your body starts to learn how to use body fat stores or even um, fats that circulate in your bloodstream. If you adopt a, a little bit higher fat and higher protein diet, um, then you're going to be fueling on ketones. And it's a very, very efficient fuel for your body, for your brain. A lot of times people think, oh, I, I have to have glucose for my brain to function. And I used to think that as a health professional and um, nothing could be further from the truth. Like we'd probably be wiped out as a species if we couldn't burn ketones in, um, for our brain fuel. Um, but as you make that transition, you just stop thinking about eating all the time and your body can fuel on both glucose and ketones or, you know, mainly ketones if you're eating a higher fat, higher protein diet. And so just having that flexibility to go back and forth um, it heals your hormonal system, but mentally, you know, you're just not thinking about food all the time. And now I'll leave for a day of errands or we'll be traveling or whatever it is. I never, I never even think about bringing food with me because I'm like, you know what? I am fine. If I'll, I'll probably get hungry a couple of times along the way, but I know my body now knows how to burn fat efficiently. And I just, I don't think about it. I don't, I don't think about traveling with food. Um, I don't pack snacks. I, I don't, you know, worry about where I'm going to eat or if my blood sugar is going to crash because I know that it won't. And that has been very, very freeing. Yeah, I totally agree. I think two scenarios that really stand out would be like just a normal work day when it's like, I can just go and work. I'll do my walk in the morning and I just go, maybe I'll get a bike ride in, but even like a full day of clients, like you just, you just do it. And it's not that big of a deal. You're right. You're not even considering it. And then the other one that really stands out to me is like a vacation, like going on vacation somewhere. It's like, wow, like maybe I'll go surf or maybe I'll go on a walk or maybe I'll lay by the pool or whatever. You do your, all of your time and energy isn't thinking about like, where am I going to go for breakfast? What am I going to need for a snack? Where are we going to go to lunch? It's like all, so much time and energy and resources, the planning and thinking about food when you can be going out and having, having fun, doing other things. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, um, I am the same way on vacation now. And it's like, the people that I'm vacationing with aren't always quite there, but at least for me. And sometimes it's funny because sometimes you forget that other people aren't as metabolically stable as you. So you're traveling with people or you're with other people and they're, they're still like that. Like, what are we going to eat for this meal? And what are we going to have for that meal? And we better make sure we pack lots of snacks for the beach or whatever it is. And, um, you know, you forget that, that most people are still in that place of thinking about food and worrying about food all the time. 
Yeah, I love that. You have already mentioned healing, and I'm really curious to know why you landed on that as the title of your book versus, you know, fasting to lose weight or fasting to do other things. And then on top of that, I, I would love to know in what ways can fasting be healing? Sure. And like I was saying, everybody's story is a little bit different and fasting can be utilized for so many different chronic illnesses and symptoms. And I think most people find it or try it because they're trying to lose weight, but it's amazing. And this is where I really love when people share their stories. It's amazing the healing that happens when you're fasting, because your body is allowed that rest, that gut rest, it's able to tap into autophagy, that deep cellular healing, where it wouldn't have been able to do that under other circumstances if you're eating all the time. So um, even for me, like the weight maintenance and the food freedom have been great. <laughs> Those have been very, very positive, but I also had really great improvements in bloating, um, and just energy level and stable energy level. And I will say at this point in time, I have not had canker sores for weeks. Those are little ulcers in your mouth. If people aren't, um, familiar with those count your blessings because they are awful. awful. I've heard they're awful. Oh, they hurt so bad. And I would have like three to five in my mouth at any, any given time. Wow. And I think I was just like depleted. I, I really started to struggle with them after the birth of my third child. And I had three kids in five years and nursed all of them for a year. So my body, I think was just really depleted and, you know, kind of hormonally with, with all the pregnancies and the nursing just needed to recover. And so I struggled for like 10 years with, with the ulcers in my mouth. And, um, only when I started to do intermittent fasting, did they finally clear up and, um, you know, I cleaned up my diet even more and I, I got past the whole healthy whole grain and I, I barely eat any grains now. And, you know, so a lot of, I think it was just inflammation in general. And so that's where fasting can be so healing is just, it's an anti-inflammatory approach to living and an approach to nutrition. So I have so many people who are just surprised by what heals in their body when your body is given the chance to heal. Um, and sometimes people don't even realize things that have healed. Like they'll be like, Oh my gosh, I used to have this aching pain in my knee. And I, I, I guess I haven't felt that for three months. And, um, yeah. And then I've, I don't know if you've heard about like the whole reverse healing. Like I find that very fascinating where when you do longer fast or your body, um, starts to kind of heal the mechanisms that are the most recent. And it kind of goes backwards back to those really old injuries or, the chronic illnesses that you've been struggling for a, a really long time. So I find that very fascinating. And that's why I just decided to focus on like fasting heals. It's yeah. Weight loss usually comes with it for most people, but that's because your body's getting healthy. You're not getting healthy. You're not, you're not losing. You're, you're getting healthy to lose weight. You're not losing weight to be healthy, if that makes sense. So hopefully I haven't, pe people aren't like, what did she say? <laughs> but um, that's why I was, I, I like to focus on the whole healing mechanism so that you can get yourself into a place where your body just naturally will lose the, the extra body weight. 
Well, okay. So it was like 5.30 in the morning. You woke me right up when you started talking on one of your previous podcasts about the reverse healing. I had never considered that at all. And I thought that was so fascinating. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Can you just reiterate one more time what that is and how that works? It's so cool. Yeah. I can't remember who kind of even, um, I can't remember what doctor it was that I heard this from, but I have heard this in a couple different podcasts and from a couple different health professionals and researchers is that your body will heal in reverse order of how you got sick. So say you have like an old injury from high school where, you know, you tore a ligament in your ankle or something. And then like five years later, you developed like PCOS or polycystic ovary syndrome. And then 10 years later, you develop type two diabetes. When you implement fasting and longer fasts and intermittent fasts, your body will start to heal in reverse order. So it will first heal that type two diabetes that is, is more of a recent thing that you've been struggling with. And then it will start to heal the PCOS. And then if it's still given the um, ample amount for, for healing, you will go back and even heal that old ankle injury. And, um, you know, I've heard of people in longer fasts, especially where they're like, oh my gosh, I don't, I'm, you know, three days in, and I will say extended fasts aren't for everybody and not everybody needs to do them to see, um, progress and to heal. But and they'll say like, oh, in my third day, my knee just started throbbing. <laughs> and then, you know, at the end of my fast, when I broke my fast, my knee was so much better. And oh yeah, I had this old injury that I had on a ski injury, you know, on while I was skiing or whatever it is. Um, so it's very, very interesting. I would love to see, um, you know, more studies on that, but I have heard that in several instances that your body kind of heals in reverse order. That's amazing. So cool. I'd never, uh, never considered that part of the, the healing process is the activation of autophagy, which you already mentioned. Can you explain how, how would you explain autophagy to somebody who's maybe never heard of it? Because I find that not a lot of people know about this, but when you tell them about it, they just kind of light up like what, this is amazing. Right. How I normally explain it and how I explain it in my book is it's like deep cellular regeneration. Even that people are like, what, what did you just say? So um, the best way that I can explain it is say you want to remodel your kitchen and you have really old, ugly cabinets from like the 1970s in there that you just can't wait to get rid of. Well, what will happen during autophagy is your body will kind of look at what is old in the body, what can it use and what can it recycle? What does it need to get rid of? So back to the analogy of the kitchen, if you're redoing your kitchen, you're going to take down the old ugly cabinets before you rebuild them. So that's kind of what the autophagy process is. It's like your body kind of going around looking for old cells, old viruses, old bacteria. So that's, that's something to really think about too, in this age where everybody's worried about viruses and, and passing those along. Like I honestly, Casey, I can say this, honestly, I have not been sick with even a cold in like three and a half years. And, um, Granted, I'm not exposed to a ton of people every day, but it's still pretty amazing. I mean, I have kids bringing in 
you know, colds and snots and everything else from school. And my husband works in multiple hospitals around our area and not like I have not even had a sniffle. Um, So I really attribute that to autophagy and just letting your body um, go into that deep healing. But so Um, so if you're redoing your kitchen, you're going to take out those old, ugly cabinets. You're going to get rid of the old appliances that don't work very well anymore. Maybe they don't work at all. And then you're going to clean everything up, clear it all out. And then you're going to come back and rebuild that kitchen. So that's kind of what that autophagy process is. It's just getting rid of all the old junk that you no longer need And then really doing a a real good cleanup and deciding, you know, can I keep some of this or, you know, can I keep like, maybe you'll keep all of your plates and your silverware, like those are still good to you. So I'm going to keep this and and I don't need to get rid of this right now. And then I'm going to rebuild and bring in the new stuff and it's all going to be sparkly and, and beautiful and clean. So that's how I think of the autophagy process, but getting rid of the old reusing and recycling what you can still use and then rebuilding. And that's where uh, the nutrition component comes in for me and why I focus a lot on nutrition in my programs. And and some influencers who do intermittent fasting or, or teach it don't really focus too much on the nutrition part, but you need to rebuild with good, solid food and good whole food. You don't want to, you know, rebuild your cells with junky packaged processed foods that are made in factories. So hopefully that made sense and and people can kind of in their head say, okay, that that's, that's what autophagy is all about. Yeah. I love that. No, that's a great analogy. The analogy I use sometimes is like building a building and you get shipments of brick every single day. And all of a sudden the shipments stop. Well, now you have to go to the pile of broken bricks in the back and be a little bit more resourceful and kind of recycle those and put them together. So very similar. It's funny too. Like I, I haven't been sick in years. My wife hasn't been sick in years. We would always get sick. Like, of, of course, mm-hmm. just like everybody else. And funnily, like I was I, the, the weekend, the weekend that the world blew up, I was at low carb Denver, March of 2020. And like the world is shutting down like before eyes. And it was across the board. Everybody was saying the same thing. Like, well, I have, I just haven't been sick. Like I, I don't ever get sick. I used to all the time, but it's such an interesting thing that I think, I think anecdotally, pretty much anybody who's been in this world for a while will start to realize really quickly. Right. And I remember this one fall where I, so when I took um, a few years off from nutrition, I actually was substitute teaching in the schools, which is a whole nother podcast episode, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it was eye opening. but it was when my son was really sick too. I think it was like the fall of 2017. I had like three back-to-back colds. And so I was very stressed out about his illness and um, I had never implemented intermittent fasting. I had not really changed my diet and I was working in the school in multiple schools, but I remember having three colds in two months and thinking, Oh my goodness, like, is this it for me? (laughs) Now my health is starting to go downhill. So it just goes to show how, um, your body when given the right tools and given the right environment can really, really stay very well. And, um, yeah, you can fend off all those illnesses that I'm sure I'm still exposed to. I just 
you know, my, my immune system is so much stronger that it just fights it off. Yeah. That's awesome. I think like, like every now and again, I'll see it on my like Facebook memories or whatever. Like I'm homesick on the couch. And I think the only thing I miss is like binging prices, right. Episodes or something. Right. <laughs> done that in years. That's the only thing, like giving yourself permission to just lay on the couch, but it's you know, no, <laughs> <laughs> you feel that way. Like sometimes my kids are like, Oh, I'm sick. I'm, I'm like, Oh, I know. I, I remember how awful that is. It's never fun, but yeah, glad, glad I'm not there anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm curious to know about um, fasting, autophagy, and then protein recommendations. This is something that I get pushback on quite a bit. Like if I start fasting, I'm, I'm, I may not be getting enough protein. Can you, can you comment on that, whether that's a concern or not? Yeah, protein is one of those things that everybody has an opinion about. And it is, it's tough. It's like, when we look back at the history of diets, we always kind of want to vilify some kind of macronutrient. And, and it was for a long time, it was vilifying fat and, oh, we can't eat fat or we get fat. And obviously it's not that simple. It's more the type of fat. Um, and then of course, now it's more of the carbohydrates and protein was never really vilified that much though. And, but we have to remember that protein is our building block. Like protein doesn't want to be used as fuel, like carbohydrate and, and fat are our main fueling systems and protein doesn't want to be used as a fuel. What I will say about protein is I think a lot of people under do protein, like they don't eat as much protein as they could or should. And the thing about protein too, is that if you don't utilize it for rebuilding or, or what you really need it for, um, your body will convert it over into glucose. So you, you, there is such a thing as overdoing it, but I think that's hard because out of all the macronutrients, protein brings us the most satiety. Fat takes the longest to, to digest. So that's going to bring us satiety for a long time. But calorie to calorie or, you know, gram to gram protein brings us the most satiety. Um, so I like to, you know, if you want to break it down into really simple terms to make sure you're getting the bare minimum, I always tell people, you know, if they're looking for a guideline, like take, take your ideal body weight and break that in half. And you need to get at least a minimum of that much protein daily. Um, and remember like that's your main building block. So you're rebuilding tissues and, and whatever skin, whatever you're breaking down, but you also need protein to build hormones and neurotransmitters and you need fatty acids to build hormones too. So if your hormones are out of whack, like I see this, I don't, I, again, I don't want to generalize, but I see this with, a, with people who have followed a, a vegetarian or plant-based or vegan diet for a really, really long time is they can really struggle with getting enough, um, quality protein. And so, yeah, so taking your ideal body weight, cutting it in half, that's the bare minimum of what you should be getting every day. Um, but like I said, I think it's hard to overdo and, and people sometimes worry about protein, like, Oh, if I eat too much protein, I'm going to spike my insulin and I'm, it's going to be converted to glucose. And yes, that, that will happen. But, um, it's difficult because your body will say, Hey, I'm full. Like <laughs> I've had enough before that typically happens. And then I am a big advocate of choosing quality pro protein. You know, I'm not, I, I, I definitely point people in the direction of, of natural whole proteins, um, eggs, if you eat meat, 
um, looking where your meat is sourced, if at all possible, and using like a local farmer or regenerative farming, something along those lines. I know that's not always affordable for everybody, um, but I'm not, I'm not a big fan of like the isolates, like um, for example, like soy isolate or, you know, taking part of the protein or like a pea protein, something like that, taking parts of proteins um, because it's not a natural food. So I'm, I'm always a huge fan of eating whole foods in their natural forms as much as possible. Um, and then, you know, just if you need to fill in, you can fill in, but I, I keep it so as simple as possible when people are working with me. I'm like, okay, I give them a sheet. I say, pick a natural or pick one to two natural fats, pick one to two natural proteins, and then you can fill in with intact carbohydrates that have not been processed from there. And just that's all you need to do. You don't need to count. You don't need to, you know, think, oh, how many grams of this or that. And, and if you do it that way, usually you're pre- you stay pretty nourished. Love that. Simple, really good recommendations. We couldn't agree more, especially with getting whole sources of protein. We think that's just so critically important. Um, so, so with the healing when fasting, you know, the weight loss is kind of almost like a side benefit is the way I like to see it. Like you're, you're probably going to lose weight. It's probably going to be in the form of fat. You're probably going to preserve your muscle mass. I've just seen it too many times work for pretty much almost everybody. Inevitably though, there gets to be a point where sometimes people's, um, you know, weight loss or fat loss can kind of stall out a little bit. What are some common things that you'd like to, you know, maybe diagnose or, or chat with, um, with people that, that feel like they're, they're kind of stalling in their weight loss or fat loss results? Yeah, I have whole podcast episodes on this. And, um, in my six week program, my group program, I do have a less, like, I think two whole lessons on this too, because it, Almost everyone sees stalls, especially if you have a lot of weight to lose or you've been ill for a really, really long time. And sometimes those stalls, people don't recognize things are still going on inside the body. And so they're like, oh, I've been at the same weight for a couple of weeks or a month or whatever it is, but things are still happening. Your body's healing on the inside. So that's important to remember. But if you are seeing a stall, the first thing I always have people look at is, are you doing the same exact thing every single day? Because your body's going to adapt to that because it's so adaptable. We need to change up your fasting protocol. You can't just eat at noon and stop at six every single day and expect it to work forever. And so I, you know, I have them change up their fasting times. Maybe they start fasting from, or they start eating from only 10 to two, a couple days a week, or they throw one 24 hour fast in there. Um, and if they're not having a refeed day or whatever you want to call them, a flex day, feast day, whatever you want to call it, making sure you get one of those in every week or two so that your body's not thinking that you're undernourished. Um, so that's definitely the first step. And then we can, you know, maybe try some different types of fasting, whether you're trying, you know, alternate day fasting or doing the 3016 method where you eat lunch one day and then the next day you eat dinner. So you're having some shorter and longer fasting times in there. Or maybe we need to look at what you're eating. You know, maybe you're snacking throughout your entire eating time. And even though you're going a long period of time without eating, are you eating too much too often when you're eating? Are you eating foods that are high stimulators of blood sugar, like packaged foods, convenience foods? Um, And then sometimes you might even need to look further into, you know, do you have a digestive issues? Are you dealing with food sensitivities that 
are causing inflammation in your body that need to be dealt with. Um, and then, you know, and, and even past that, is there something else going on either um, with some sort of system, whether it's the endocrine system or, you know, are you dealing with mold? Are you dealing with some kind of infection that is again, just causing some sort of low level inflammation that's going to make it very difficult for you to see long-term progress. So yeah, there's, there's just so many things that can come into play. And the other thing is obviously activity. Um, I definitely think you can fast and lose weight without the activity, but it's more challenging and activity will help you burn through those glycogen stores so that you're burning fat more efficiently and more quickly. And I'm a big proponent of strength training as well. So that you can preserve the lean tissue that you have and rebuild it. And, um, I'm sure our listeners know that it's more metabolically, um, <clears throat> it's more metabolically efficient and burns more calories than body fat does. So we want to preserve as much as possible, but yeah, there's a, there's a number of things that can happen. So it's stalls are not fun and they're not always easy to work through, but there definitely are many strategies that you can try. And sometimes throwing in like just one extended fast of maybe two or three days, not everybody's open to that, but sometimes that's enough to just kind of recharge the system and, and get you moving in the direction that you want to move again. Mm. I, I love that part of coaching. I think back on one of my favorite movies, um, a series of unfortunate events and the, the oldest sibling, her line throughout the entire movie is like, there's always something, there's always something that you can do to move the needle. There's so many different variables. There's, there's always something that we can attack. And we're going to start with the low hanging fruit and the things that might get the best results. But there, there's so many different options. These, these answers you're coming up with, they're so good. You're answering all of the questions that I had. My next one was going to be about feasting, which you've mentioned. Are you, are you a fan typically if somebody's going to do a fast that when they do eat, they, they kind of have a concept of like feasting, you're going to eat quite a bit of food. Yeah. Um, so I, like I said, some people use like term them flex days or carb days or whatever it is. Um, but I try to, to steer people in the direction of having at least one, if you want to call it refeed or feast day, one day a week where you're not really worrying about fasting and um, where people can get in trouble is when they think that it's like a binge day or, or it's like, I can do whatever day. And that can definitely backfire and you can undo a lot of progress that way. And so I always encourage people like, nope, we're, this is more of a high nutrition day. We're going to focus on, we're still going to focus on healthier carbohydrates. Um, but if the if the woman, or if I'm working with a female who's still menstruating, I definitely look at her cycle and we carb up during times of her cycle that progesterone is higher because um, the higher carbohydrate makes more sense on those times. And if the female, or if I'm working with a female and she's not menstruating anymore, then we can be a little bit more relaxed with that and, and males as well. Um, but yeah, I, I'm a big proponent of that. I don't think people should be fasting every single day. Cause like we said, it's a stressor. It's a good stressor for most people, but yeah, the last thing you want is your body to think that you're undernourished and then it starts to shut down metabolically. Yeah, totally. Um, and then you mentioned the exercise portion of things. We couldn't agree more with the strength training. Is there any other forms of movement you recommend for people? So I think I mentioned earlier that I was a bit of an over-exerciser <laughs> throughout, oh my gosh, probably 
most of my twenties and and thirties, I probably pushed myself too hard, but yeah, strength training for sure. And now I just focus on movement that makes me feel good. And that I feel for me, doesn't cause me stress. So I do more walking than I used to. And I walk with friends a lot so that, you know, that's definitely stress relieving and connecting with another person. I run a couple days a week, but it's not because I feel like I have to train, like run 10 miles today in order for, you know, for this race or whatever. I just run usually like three to five miles just to make my, you know, feel good. And I wish I were better at like yoga and that kind of thing. I'm, I'm just not that person. I need to like, I, for me to shut off my brain and, and not to be thinking about things is a challenge. So I know that the mindfulness and yoga and flexibility, all of those things are important too. But I guess if I can give any recommendations in addition to the strength training find something that you really like, that doesn't cause you stress, because if, if, um, exercise is a stressor for you. Again, that's going to be inflammatory and we don't want that. We want you to enjoy movement and enjoy what you're doing. And, and I totally get the whole competitive training thing. You know, I'm, I'm very competitive by nature and very, um, you know, into sports and that kind of thing, but sometimes your body needs a rest too, and you just don't want to overdo it. Totally. So much of that is reconciling like the person who you are versus the person that you think you need to be, <laughs> you know, competitive, <laughs> running around, forcing things, doing all the time when you're right. Like I walking has been one of the greatest gifts of the pandemic for us. And like, if that's one of the most mindful things you can do is just go out on a little stroll, go say hi to the birds and the ducks and just really take in the scenery and appreciate how the environment around you is changing as the seasons change. It's been absolutely amazing. So I love, love that recommendation. It's interesting when somebody kind of changes their diet, how it kind of bleeds out into the lives of others, especially if they take care of, you know, other people in the house. I'm, I'm just curious, like, has your family tried intermittent fasting as well? Have they noticed benefits or is it something that, that just mom does and they do their own thing? No, I'm really glad you asked this question because I've mentioned this on my podcast a few times, but my husband is not an intermittent faster. He's tried it before regularly, but it's just not something that resonates with him. But I will say he has always been lean. You know, his weight has fluctuated about five pounds in the almost 25 years that I've known him. He's just more of an intuitive eater. And I, um, I know that's a whole different subject, but, um, I, I believe in intuitive eating for those who have hormonal systems that are balanced. If your hormonal system's unbalanced. I don't think intuitive eating, um, can be a great approach for everyone, Tell but anyway, he's more, <laughs> right. He's just one of those people that, yeah, you wish like everybody could be, but I will say he's not focused on food either. Like he's just one of those people who naturally goes hours without eating. He's a hunter. He'll sit in the woods for six hours and not think about a meal. Um, so, but he has done it a little bit here and there. And then my daughter, who is now 18, she has definitely applied it. Um, she's gone off to college and she says it's really helpful for her to keep, you know, because everybody, I feel like everybody who goes to college knows that weight gain is kind of something that comes along with 
with most college students. So she's adapted it. She adapted it even in later in high school um, because it helped clear up her acne that she was struggling with. So she, you know, and we talk about, we're like, if there's a night that you are out with friends and you want to have an ice cream cone or whatever it is, like, don't feel like you can't, you just get back at it the next day. Um, but she will go like 24 hours without eating and think nothing of it where I'm sure most females her age would never be able to do that. Um, so she's definitely metabolically flexible, but she's, she's not crazy about it. You know, she doesn't take it to the extreme by any means. Um, and then my boys are 16 and 13 and they're very much into sports. So we don't, we don't push fasting with them at all. We do, however, you know, when I say we, it's mostly me, (laughs) I really try to get them to focus on eating whole balanced meals at mealtime and getting rid of snacking, getting rid of drinking sugary drinks, especially in between meals, not eating a lot before bed. Um, so yeah, just for them, it's, it's more of a focus on balanced meals, making sure they're getting enough nutrition to support whatever sport that they're in not snacking. And for my youngest son, this is a challenge because he would sit on the couch with a bag of whatever and snack on it (laughs) instead of eating meals. So I think just getting, you know, if you have kids and you're listening to this and you're like, Oh my gosh, how do I, you know, how do I get my kids to adapt this? Um, and then just let them naturally break their fast when they want to. Um, I think that is so powerful. And for my youngest son, who's more of the snacker, he has never really been hungry until nine or 10 in the morning. And I used to push him to eat breakfast before school when he wasn't hungry. And now he just takes some extra food. He always, we always pack his lunch um, and he takes some extra food. And if he wants to eat something at 10 o'clock before his lunch period, he does. And, and we just, we don't push the early morning eating anymore unless they're hungry. Um, and so I think kids in general, if you haven't messed them up too badly with letting them eat, you know, whenever, whatever, and lots and lots of sugar, they can be very intuitive eaters. They're like they, their, their satiety mechanisms are still good. We haven't, you know, they haven't lived long enough to, to really damage them, um, as much as adults, but those are my best tips. Let them break the fast when they're ready, have them eat whole meals like we did in the fifties and sixties. Don't snack, don't eat before bed and don't, um, drink sugary drinks. You know, I'm not a fan of sugary drinks really ever, but in between meals, especially. (laughs) I'm just thinking back, like when I was their age, like bags and bags of cereal, my parents were too cheap to buy like good cereal. So it was always like the, the cheap, like Malto meal, like the number of gallons of skim milk I would have and just like crashing hard (laughs) in first period. And like, yeah, that sounds so much better. Yeah. And I always get ridiculed by my kids because we never have cereal in the house except for grain free granola. And they're like, we're the only house that doesn't have cereal in it. I'm like, well, it's basically a dessert. So no. <laughs> good. Good. <laughs> you should be proud of that. That's great. Uh, so I'm just curious. I've heard you talk about this a little bit and, and I really love the concept. You've got your book, you've got the podcast, you have the people that you work with, you do support groups, so many different things. When, when, do you decide that things are enough that you've helped enough people for today? Or, you know, I I think I kind of had this concept that I was going to throw my cape on and do this podcast and billions of people would change and be happier and all this stuff. And, and it's, it's kind of been a journey of like realizing like what, 
what are my true expectations and, and learning that like, you know, I might be able to help a few people out of my neighborhood and if people listen to the podcast, that's great. But you know, my scope is, is not going to be life-changing and you know what, that's kind of okay. I, I wonder how you approach that yourself. It's so interesting. You asked me this question because my husband has asked me this question many times. Like, when is it enough? Like you're always working on something. When is it enough? And when I first set out to start my programs and read my book, it was just like you were saying, you know, if I can help my own family and family members and those close to me with whatever I am teaching, that's enough. And I, I wish I could have stopped there, but you know, as, as you start to reach more and more people, um, it just like, I feel this is such a, like a deep, almost like a, a really deep question for me because it kind of goes back to why am I here? And, um, and so my podcast has grown and my client reach has grown. You know, I've worked with people all over the world who have come into my programs. And I guess for me, I just, I kind of take it day by day and I try not to get overwhelmed with all that I'm working on. Um, but a part of me wants to be like, you know, you see people walking down the street in your community and you're like, Oh, I could help you. I could help you. I could help you. I could help you. (laughs) You know, it's like 70% of people are overweight or obese or, and 86% die of chronic illness and, and you want to help everyone. But, um, I wish I had a more concrete answer for you because I have thought about this so many times and sometimes I'm like, okay, I should just take a step back and relax a little bit. And then at the same time, it's like, oh, you just, you do, you just want to help the world. So I guess for me, I should have a better vision with that, but I am at the moment just kind of inviting people on my podcast who I know can help others. And if people find it, they find it. And if, you know, I I have clients come into my world, I feel like it's for a reason and I can help them as much as I can help them. And I just go from there. But um, I'm, I'm not great with like, goals and and all of the little, I shouldn't say goals. I'm good at goals. I'm not good at the little details of like uh, my day to day, how, how I'm going to get from point A to point B. So um, yeah, I, I'm just, I just feel like at this point, people come into my world for a reason and um, as many as I can help. Great. I love that. That's a very thoughtful answer for what is really, really, truly a challenge. I think a lot of times I wish, you know, change for people and I want them to get on the right track and I know how good they could feel, but they're not ready to change right now. And if they were, they would be here and they're not, and that's, that's okay. And it's hard to make that okay. But, um, yeah, I think that's a really thoughtful answer. This has been an awesome conversation. I'm wondering if you have one thing that you would leave with the audience, um, that they can take from this conversation and apply into their lives. Yeah, I know. And again, this is where it's like you don't want to overwhelm people. But um, what I will say is that every everybody's different. So your path is going to be different from your significant other or your sister or your neighbor. Like this is your own personal journey. And um, the things that you apply are going to work differently in your body than, than the next person. So I feel like if people have maybe given fasting two weeks in the past, maybe try it again and just approach it a little bit differently, do a different type. Cause I I do feel like it can be beneficial for just about everyone. Um, but be patient and trust the process and know that your journey is going to be a little bit different or maybe a lot different than 
whoever's book you read or story you heard. Um, but yes, like we were talking at the beginning of this, the podcast, everybody loves stories and um, yours is going to definitely be different than the next person. I love that. Powerful stories. This has been an amazing one. Shanna, where can people find you, connect with you and work with you? Yeah, thank you. Um, my website is fasttoheal.info and all my programs are housed there. You can listen to my podcast on my website as well or all the major podcast platforms. Um, my podcast is called Fast to Heal Stories. Um, my book is Fast to Heal that can be found on Amazon or the digital version is on my website. And then my six week program, which is six weeks of learning lessons, but then I also offer group coaching weekly, live indefinitely. Um, you can sign up for a discovery call for that either through my website or I'm probably the most active on Instagram. And my Instagram is at shanna.husson.rdn. And you can sign up for um, a discovery call through my link on my bio there as well. Amazing. We will link to all of that in the show notes. Shanna Hassan, thank you so much for all of your work. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting to approach this from the side of a, you know, I, I have a certificate that says I know something about nutrition. I'm not a registered dietitian. And it, I, I understand how much harder it would be to, you know, have the confines of being a registered dietitian find that the what you were taught was not necessarily the best way to approach things, things and the courage to step out of that and find your own way and find something different, I think is really amazing. So thank you so much for all of your content and everything that you produce, your wonderful podcast. And thank you for coming on ours today. It's been a real honor to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio.